Good morning and welcome to Update, a public affairs presentation of K-Wave. I'm Terry Lind and my guest today is Pastor Chuck Obremski. This is somewhat of a groundbreaking interview for us in that our topic isn't about an organization or an event, but about a man of God and his God. Chuck Obremski pastors Kindred Community Church in Anaheim Hills and is also the chaplain to the Anaheim Angels. Chuck is also at a unique stage of life and I'll let him tell you all about that. Chuck, thanks so much for talking to me today. Great. Thanks, Terry. It's good to be with you again, and it's uh, good to spend some time together. The unique stage, I think, in life that you're referring to is it'll be two years actually next month in July that I found a lump in my left groin. So I went to the doctor, and they said, you know, it didn't look that bad, but let's go ahead and remove it just in case. So they removed it and uh, did a biopsy, and a week later discovered that it was a malignant form of cancer called sarcoma that's when this journey has begun for us. Jim Elliott said, wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt every situation you believe to be the will of God. I believe that at this season of your life, you are living to the hilt. And I want you to tell me what's on your heart today. And when we first was discovered with this, we had it removed, went to UCLA. They did a more exaggerated surgery. Took uh, 30 staples to put my groin back together at that time discovered that it was a high grade and they gave it a name that didn't fit any other category they didn't know what it was and they called it a pleomorphic sarcoma and recommended they go through radiation and this was in the middle of september of two years ago so i was in the middle of baseball season and trying to utilize my time wisely scheduled the surgery for the beginning of the week hoping that by the end of the week i'd be out and to be able to do chapel and continue to preach on Sundays. And we were able to do that. And so when you talk about living to the fullest, the last thing I want to do is waste the remaining time that I have this side of eternity not doing the things that he's called me to do. And so our prayer through all of this has been, if I need surgery, can you get me out of the hospital by the end of the week so that I can continue to do the ministry things that I know that you want me to do? Through that process, haven't missed a Sunday in the pulpit, haven't missed a chapel, and God has just been absolutely amazing to sustain us and to lift us up in the process. I went from having the surgery to 32 treatments of radiation at St. Joe's at the Cancer Center. The cancer spread to my lungs, and so I had lung surgery in um, January of last year to remove some of the tumors. After they were removed, six more showed up, and then in April, had three of them burned out. It's just been a process. It's been ongoing to where this past December had the lower left lobe of my lung removed. So that's kind of where we're at right now. And since then, there's been a tumor that's filled the cavity my abdominal cavity that's inoperable. We're just uh, going through chemotherapy right now just to uh, try to do what we can just to slow the aggressiveness of the disease down. But in the meantime, I'm excited that God has given us a unique platform, like you said, within the will of God, because obviously if it wasn't God's will, I wouldn't have had cancer to begin with. And if it was God's will to heal me, then he'll heal me. So we can considered all joy when we encounter these various trials because we know that the testing of our faith produces endurance and endurance brings about spiritual maturity. So we're in that process of not questioning any time along the way why this has happened, but more so and more importantly, what it is that God wants to accomplish through it. That's what I'm trying to be sensitive to. That's what I'm trying to be aware of. And that's what I want to use as a platform to teach those who have not come to faith in Christ the sense of urgency 
that's appointed for man to die once, then comes judgment. We have this window of opportunity in this life to get right with God. And for those who have repented of their sins, trusted in Christ, his death on the cross, and his resurrection, that they would have a sense of urgency to share that message with their friends and their family, and also to um, use the time that they have wisely in serving God to meet his goals and his purposes as far as his kingdom is concerned. We have our tape and CD ministry. In fact, I had a meeting with our CD ministry yesterday. They're all given away for free. They've already produced and distributed 18,000 messages this year, which was the total of what we did last year. So we end up with like a tape and CD table at the bottom of my hospital bed. People will come in and pick them up and take them. And it's pretty funny how God's using that to get into the hands of the doctors and the nurses and administrative people. And in fact, the funny story last week, they had rushed me to the emergency room. And so I ended up in the hospital for three days. One of the transporters taken me to get a CT scan looked at my chart and saw my name and said, oh, I've got one of your CDs. He said, but I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet. And, you know, and he said, I'm trying not to make excuses, but I only live 10 minutes from here. And, you know, but I need to take a nice long drive somewhere to listen to it. And I just thought, oh, it was pretty funny that God was using it in such a way just to get them out into the hands of people. And, you know, what they do with them is up to them. But it was pretty funny. He was scrambling to try to figure out a way to save face without making an excuse. Hopefully he's listened to it because if I end up back there next week, I might run into him again. Every time I'm hospitalized, I'm on the oncology floor. We're talking about people that are very desperate as far as their physical condition is concerned. And they tend to be a little more receptive to if this life is coming to an end, what can I expect? And so God's got their attention in a way that probably he's never had their attention before. How's your congregation handling this? They're great. I mean, they've been incredible as far as their support, their prayers. You know, I just started this new form of chemo and lost my hair and showed up at church and had about 25, 30 guys that had cut all their hair off. Some of them, there wasn't much left, so there wasn't as quite the sacrifice, but the intention was still good. One of our guys, our sound and technical guy, hadn't had a haircut in 15 years made the extreme sacrifice and uh, had his head shaved um, for that event. So they've just been absolutely incredible. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that as we've gone through this, my heart's desire, my goal is that we always fix our eyes on the Lord because any one of us could be called home at any time. If a ministry is based on an individual, then there's trouble waiting to happen because My time of service could be up, but God's not done with our church, and he's using this as a building block or a foundation to build upon what he wants to accomplish in the months and years to come. If you're just now joining us, this is Update, the weekly public affairs program of K-Wave 107.9. I'm Terry Lind, and I'm talking to Pastor Chuck Obremski, and I'm going to read another quote. We may be certain that whatever God has made prominent in his word He intended to be conspicuous in our lives. Charles Spurgeon said that. And I know that recently you started a series on the subject of heaven. And it's obvious that God has made that subject very near and dear to your heart at this point in time. What insights has he given you? Well, that's a great quote because years ago when I first came to faith in Christ, when I repented of my sins and trusted in him, and I sensed that as I was growing that God had given me a gift to teach the Bible. 
one of my prayers has always been that I would be an effective communicator of God's word. And I didn't realize that when I was asking and praying that prayer that he would, you know, as he says, to use a man greatly, he has to crush him deeply. Part of this process, I believe, is an answer to that prayer, that to have the insights that we say that we want and to draw closer to the Lord. When you read through scripture, suffering and trials are always his chosen way to bring about that end result. And yet, I wouldn't have signed up for this. I'll be the first person to tell you. I would have tried to negotiate a better deal. But since that didn't happen, I've resigned myself to ask, okay, God, how can I use it for your glory and for your purposes? I have a friend through Baseball Chapel, and his name is Dave Dravecki. And Dave had cancer and, and lost his left arm and shoulder and was amputated. So I called him one day and said, you know, this is what I'm going through. Can you give me some counsel or some advice? And he said, Chuck, God has chosen at this time in your life to give you this unique blessing. And this blessing will bless others if you choose to use it in that manner. And so never look at it as talking about yourself, but you're using yourself to talk about the Lord and to talk about spiritual truth and to try to teach truth so that people will be edified by it, encouraged by it if they're going through struggles of their own and be able to encourage others around them in the midst of their trials and their tribulations. And so it becomes a unique opportunity to do that. As I've gone forward, God placed on my heart the desire to try to use this platform to teach truth about future events, eternity, heaven, what we have to look forward to. In our culture, most of us never think about or look forward to the day that we're going to be in the presence of God and the place that he's prepared for us. And in fact, one of the questions that I asked a group of people not too long ago is how many people want to go to heaven? And everybody raised their hands and it's like, okay, how many people want to die? And no hands go up. And so it's like, yeah, I want to go to heaven, but I don't want to die. Well, okay, how do you think you're going to get there? And that's the other reason that Christians love the concept of the rapture of the church because it's a group event. It's not solitary. It's not one-on-one. We all get to go together as family and friends, and it's a group thing. For most of us, we won't experience that unless the Lord comes back. Now, we're going to end up having to say goodbye, and we'll see you soon, or we'll see you shortly, or whatever. There's sorrow that comes with that, and there's sadness. And yet at the same time, like First Thessalonians 4 says, we grieve as believers, but not like those who don't have hope. Because we know what to expect, what to anticipate. But I have found that there is an ignorance. And in fact, in that passage, 1 Thessalonians 4, it says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, about those who have died or have fallen asleep in Christ. So there is a tendency to have an ignorance or a lack of understanding about spiritual truth that we don't think necessarily applies to us now. So unless you're sick, unless you're dying, and in my case, I'm guilty as everybody else is, until I realize that the time that I have here on earth is shortened, at least shorter than what my expectations may have been. It's given me that desire to look at what scripture has to say about what God has promised when we leave this life. 
like any of us who go on a vacation, you know, you get all the information you can, you read up on it. I'm just trying to read up on and study everything that God has to say about heaven, the intermediate heaven, the millennium, the permanent new heavens and new earth, new Jerusalem, what we have to look forward to as God's people, not so much to escape the realities of this life, but to give us the endurance that we need to be able to fulfill the mission that he has us accomplish, which is the fact that we have all been given the ministry of reconciliation, that we're all here as ambassadors, that our citizenship is in heaven and not here on earth. And so we have a purpose, we have a mission, we have a focus that we need to take more seriously. Like Paul said, I don't consider the sufferings of this life worthy to be compared to the glory that's to be revealed. Today, I can relate where Paul says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm here, I'm going to do what God has called me to do and accomplish the purposes in which he wants me to accomplish. If he calls me home, it's not a negative thing. And I'm amazed at how many believers look at death as not a reward, but almost like a negative thing that God's getting even with us for something that we've done. And it saddens me, but it also shows me the lack of understanding of Scripture. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. It's a reward for faithful service. I just personally don't believe I've been that faithful yet that he would want to reward me and call me home. But at the same time, if he chooses to, That's not bad because I'm reading the book and I'm getting to see what we have to look forward to. In the last hundred years, we've literally changed how we refer to death. It used to be that they would say he went to his heavenly reward. And we don't say that anymore. What we say is he went home to be with the Lord, which both are good, but there's a little bit of a difference there, isn't there? Well, and that's even if you, you hear that versus, you know, he bought the farm, he's pushing up daisies. You know, that type of secular thinking, too, that it's kind of like, well, that's the end. For a lot of us, we have cartoon theology. And if you ask somebody, okay, if you die and you go to heaven, what happens to you? And there's an immediate picture of the coyote getting hit by the truck and they end up sitting on a cloud with a harp. And it's kind of like, okay, that's our view of heaven. And it's so distorted from the continuity that we find in Scripture where life continues but just in a different dimension in God's presence where Elijah and Moses were conversing with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, where we're absent from the body, we're present with the Lord, where the saints in Revelation 6 are having a conversation with God about how long it would be before he would avenge their deaths. Continuity of what we've started here in this life continues in the next life. And that's why Jesus so adamant about forwarding our treasures in heaven and making sure that the works that we do had some eternal significance and they just weren't temporary things that would burn up this side of eternity. It's been a great series to challenge not only myself, but our people at our church to consider what does the Bible really say and then adopt that doctrine and use it as the springboard to go out and accomplish greater things for God's glory. You used a term that I'd like for you to expand the definition of. What do you mean by intermediate heaven? 
Well, intermediate heaven has to do with the fact that if you or I die who have come to faith in Christ today, we're children of God, born again by God's will, not by our own desires, not by our own efforts or works, but according to the biblical definition, when we die, we're absent from the body, we're present with the Lord. But we also know that Jesus is returning for the church. In First Thessalonians, it talks about the fact that we don't want you to be ignorant about those who have died in Christ or fallen asleep in him. If I died today, that would be me when Jesus would return for his people. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then Paul said, we who are alive will be caught up with them. And so we know that there's a period of time and time continues even in this intermediate heaven where there's a period of time where during that seven year tribulation period that will take place on earth. God's people will be with him, being judged according to our works, and then he'll return and establish the millennium. That thousand-year reign of Christ precedes what I would call the permanent heaven. The heaven that we would go to today is temporary in that Jesus will come to earth, establish his kingdom. We will rule and reign with him. At the end of the thousand years, the Bible says he establishes the permanent heaven or the new heavens, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. And it talks about at that time, all tears will be wiped away. All sadness and all sorrow will be gone. But it doesn't say that as far as the time period between now and then. There's a very clear delineation of what we have coming up in the future and the time segments that are involved that I think people are confused because they say, well, if we die today, no more sorrow, no more sadness. It's like, well, wait a minute. That has to do with when he finalizes his plans for this world. But until then, there's a lot of things going on that will still cause us to be sad and sorrow. And I think there'll be sadness when we're judged for our works. And what we missed out on, we're going to give an answer to our works and our behavior and every word. And I think that we'll realize, man, I wish I have taken this more seriously because we're being trained today for what God will give us in the way of responsibilities during Jesus reign on earth. And we're told in the parables that for some will give, be given authority over one city or five cities or 10 cities. So what we do in this lifetime does make a difference in the times to come. Do you think that the training process continues while we're up there before we come back to rule and reign with Christ? That's a great question. One thing, rather than speculate, you know, does the training process continue? I can tell you, just from the Revelation chapter 6, definitively, the learning process continues. There were things that they didn't understand. They asked the Lord the question, and after he gave the answer of resting a while, and it's going to be a while, they understood better what the time schedule was. Even though the time schedule wasn't defined for them, they still knew that there are things that we don't know. There are things that we can ask. There are things that God communicates with us. And we have a better understanding after that interchange than we did before. Seeing him as he is will never be the same as knowing all that he knows. And I think that personally, we'll spend an eternity with our creator and never begin to capture everything that he knows and who he is. Because he'll always be God. And we will never be God. That's a very interesting statement to make, that even though we'll see him as he is, we will never be him and we'll never know all that he knows. 
Another interesting thing about that is how many cults get that wrong. And I think that's the litmus test of Christianity, is the reality that we know that he's God and we're not, and that it's by grace we're saved through faith and not of ourselves. It's a gift from God so that none of us ever could boast before God. He has created us to enjoy his presence in a place that he's preparing for us. We'll be with him forever and enjoy his presence. That's just phenomenal. How can you ever be discouraged about finally realizing that goal whenever it comes during the course of one's lifetime? If there's somebody listening who doesn't know the Lord, and I know that what's really on your heart more than anything right now is that you want to take as many with you as you can. Nothing in this life is important compared to having a right relationship with the God who's created us. If you should be told today that you only had a week to live, a month to live, a few months to live, or even if you die today, where would you go? I once came across an inscription on a gravestone in an old British cemetery that wasn't far from Windsor Castle, and it read as following. It says, pause, my friend, as you walk by, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. Prepare, my friend, to follow me. And I'd heard about a visitor who read that epitaph and added the following lines where he wrote, To follow you is not my intent until I know which way you went. The Bible is pretty clear. For those who repent of their sins and trust in Christ and ask for forgiveness, believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the dead for their sins and receive him as Savior, the Bible guarantees that we're adopted into the family of God. We become children of God to those who believe in his name. And we're assured not only of our eternity, but the abundant life that Jesus came to give us today. So when we are absent from our body, we will be present with the Lord. And the Bible also says that for those who don't believe in Jesus, that we will perish and will not come to everlasting life and will end up in Hades or ultimately hell or the lake of fire and be judged for sin. And so if you're listening today and you're not sure which way you'll go, chances are great that you won't be going to heaven because God says that this is the assurance that I want you to have that those who are in Christ have eternal life. And so if you would pray with me, I'm a simple prayer, Father, forgive me for I've sinned, and I want to be assured of where I'm going when I die. And if I would die today, I don't know. And so I put my faith and my trust and my hope in what I've just heard. I know I'm a sinner. I'm not perfect. I ask you to forgive me. I believe what you say, that Jesus died on the cross for me, that he rose again from the dead and is alive today, extending forgiveness. And I trust in him as my Savior to the best of my understanding. And I look forward to what you're going to do in my life, not only in this life, but I look forward to the life to come. And I pray these things in his name. Amen. Thank you so much. I know where you're going, and I'm glad to say that I'll see you there. And I'll look forward to the reunion. That's one of the exciting things as I've gone through and looked ahead to the day that um, where Jesus says that, you know, come back for his church and the dead in Christ will rise first. We who are alive will be caught up together in the air. And it says, and we will be with him forever. And not only him, but we'll be with one another who have trusted in him for the forgiveness of our sins. And I look at that and I picture when Jesus raised the widow's son from the dead and had the wonderful experience of giving that boy back to his mother. 
And you think about Jairus' daughter, the same thing. Or Lazarus, when he came forth from the tomb and Jesus gave him back to his sisters. Just before that, they had wept and they had grieved over that loss. And Jesus reunited them. And one day, that reunion is going to take place for all of God's people. And what a wonderful day that's going to be where our Lord has the wonderful ministry of giving back to us who have been separated by death for whatever period of time. But that'll be the last time that ever happens. Chuck, thanks so much for sharing your heart with us today. Thanks, Terry. It's good to see you again and always good to spend time talking about the Lord and his promises and what we have to look forward to. I want to wrap up with a scripture that I hope will be personal to you and bring comfort to you. Second Corinthians chapter one, verses two through four. Grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. That's great. Thank you very much. God bless you. You too. To close the program out today, I asked Pastor Chuck what his favorite hymn or chorus was, and he said he didn't have one, that anything that drew us closer to God was okay with him. So I think that I've picked out a song that he'll approve of. I hope you do too, and I hope it blesses your heart. God bless you. Thanks for listening.